what Pastor Kevin mentioned earlier. So this week, Janet and I were in Springfield, Missouri, and we got to see the, uh, do a tour of our general council, met with Doug Clay, our general superintendent, with Rick DuBose, our assistant general superintendent. He talked about the prayer center that's over there. You'll hear more about that later on, uh, not today, but later in time to come. Uh, We went and toured Convoy of Hope, the distribution center, where literally millions of dollars worth of product goes out every year helping people who are in need. And we often give you a chance to support that. It also sends supplies around the world. They have done a lot of incredible things in Ukraine right now. Stories, I wish I had time to tell you all about them. I don't today, but we were there doing that. We went to Evangel University and uh, met with the president there, Mike Rakes, a good longtime friend of mine. Um, and just the vision he has for the university. Then we went to James River for a prayer meeting on Wednesday night. And, I mean, we packed it in in a couple of days along with state leadership for uh, the Assemblies of God in Oklahoma. And we had a great, great time. But while I was there, I I had prepared to start today a three-week series on finances, a biblical view of finance, what God teaches about it. And I just felt the Lord tell me, "I, I want you to do something different. And so... Pastor Kevin, you didn't know it, but thank you for your word today because it confirmed what the Lord has led me to speak on today. I want to go, the next three weeks, we're going to look at the book of Galatians. Then the month of July, all of our staff pastors are going to be preaching in that month. I'll be here, but giving them a chance to share the word God's put in their heart. Then back in August, I'll kick back in on Galatians again and go into September. So it's going to be about nine weeks, I think, if I remember right, that we're going to be looking at Galatians, a powerful book that was written, probably Paul's first book that he wrote, that speaks of the fact that we must always keep Christ at the center of our faith. Other things are all peripheral, and and I'll, I'll mention this more clearly in a moment. Some things flow out of our faith, but they don't create our faith. You can come to church every time the doors are open, and as it used to be said, that doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a French fry. Is church attendance important? Absolutely, but it doesn't bring salvation. You can give all of your wealth. Paul talks about it a little bit when he's talking in 1 Corinthians 13. He talks, if I give away everything I have to the poor, but I don't have love, I am nothing. And so it's important that we handle finance right, but our faith must be built and the grace of God that was given through the substitution of Jesus Christ for us that we might be children of God. Now, here's what happened. The gospel came in the life of Jesus. Jesus died, was resurrected. The church actually took on a a, a new emphasis and focus. The Holy Spirit came, and there was understanding that we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. But within about 15 years of that time or so, there were people who were saying, you know, this is good, but we need to ramp it up a little bit. And we need to go back and teach some of the Jewish traditions and even some of the Jewish law that that's that's the key to salvation. Paul found out about this, and he wrote a letter to the churches of Galatia There's a little bit of debate about where they are, who they are, when it was written exactly. 
uh, in today's time set, most scholars that I read believe the, it was written around 50 A.D., probably a year or two before, 48, 49 A.D. So Jesus probably died around 29, 30 A.D., probably wasn't born at a zero, probably two or to four years prior to that, actually. And, 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 and in case that really messes you up, let me just help you understand why we can't be so specific with those dates and that, that era. Back in that time, okay, first of all, there are no computers. The, the technology we have today helps us to be more universally applied. How many of you can remember, if you're my age or, or, or older, you'll remember this. How many of you remember when there was a lot of difference between people, depending on what state they lived in or where they came from, the things they were accustomed to, the, maybe even the foods they eat and the things that go on. And what's happened over the last, you know, 50 years or so, two or three things have made our nation much more homogenous. Um, one has to do with transportation, probably. It's the fact that we can go different places more quickly and readily. You know, there was a time eons ago when, when people from Arkansas went to go see their relatives in Colorado and the people in Colorado were thinking, wow, you people are different. And that's diminished a lot. People from Texas still got their issues, but that's beside the point. <laughs> uh, technology, obviously, that we can all experience the same kind of things no matter where we live. And, and to be honest, a weird when number three is going to really probably throw you off track a little bit here, but, but I believe it's true, Walmart. Because now all of a sudden the same thing is sold all across the whole nation because there's this, the, the, and not just Walmart, but that whole concept of what was going on there. Back in the time of Paul, there was a lot of distinction. Back in the time of Christ, a lot of distinction. Different cultures had different calendars, had different ways of looking at life. And so sometimes it's not as clear. We can be pretty close, but maybe not absolutely pinpoint accurate because the culture of that day didn't put as much emphasis on that as we do today. Today, what day it is, is a big thing. And, and, and you all know this, it's different time zones all around the world. And if you get to the date line, you can lose a whole day or gain one, whichever way that goes. But the reality is, in the time of Paul, we don't know exactly, but we do know the circumstances that shaped his writing. Galatians chapter one, read it with me. The letter, this letter is from Paul, an apostle, I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins just as God our Father planned in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. I'm shocked now, if you want to talk about a uh, non-existent segue, here it is. We, we try as a staff to have some kind of cohesive flow of what we're doing, a little bit of segue from here to there. We, we, we want it to be natural and from the heart, but we try to think about how do we get from point A to point B. You know, Paul is saying... Um, Praise to God who's given us everything that we have. Glory to him forever and ever. You people have blown it. I mean, it's just that fast. Boom. I'm shocked 
that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You're following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but it is not the good news at all. You're being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we have said before. If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. You think he takes it pretty serious? Obviously, now here's, here's the great segue. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people. Paul, you didn't have to tell us that. We figured that out from your previous statement. But I'm trying to win the approval of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. I was reading some different things this week regarding this passage. And Chuck Swindoll, who's one of my favorite speakers and writers, he's just brilliant. He, he said that he was very early in ministry and facing a situation in a church. And, and the decisions they were talking about as a church had, had kind of divided the church and divided the leadership even. And the structure of their church is that when it got to this point, he would make the decision as the pastor because of the, the, the gridlock of everything else going on. And, and he said it was really weighing heavy on him. And he said it wasn't, this is his words, it wasn't weighing heavy on him because of trying to make sure he got the decision right. He didn't want to alienate either group from himself. Now, as a pastor, none of us it, that I know of, there may be a few out there that are kind of weird, but none of us are like trying to make people mad. And we would prefer that people like us rather than dislike us. That's part of human nature. Paul is not condemning uh, an attitude that wants to be liked, but there's a difference between wanting people to like you and wanting to please people. And wanting people to like you, there's a line drawn where you have to make sure you're doing the best you can to do what God's called you to do. And Chuck Swindoll said that in this, this situation, he, was, he told his wife, I'm going to drive my car and I'm going to pray he was early in ministry, early in, in life, and he said, probably one of the most foolish things I ever did, I had my Bible open as I was driving, reading. He said, I was going to read through the whole New Testament until I finally got a word from God. And he said, probably worse than driving while texting. As he was driving and reading the word, he came to this passage. And he said, I knew immediately what I needed to do. He said, not concerning the decision, but I needed to free myself from what will people think and how will they respond and how will they react to what is the right thing to do. I used to think that when you were a leader and you were a good leader, it just meant that everybody, you know, wanted to throw parades and uh, celebrate, and I'm glad when those things happen, but I understand that part of leadership is sometimes you face some decisions that aren't popular, but it's the right thing to do, and you try to follow God to the best of your ability. Paul certainly understood that here. There are many times in the New Testament where he actually clearly refers to people speaking derogatory words against him 
But in through it all, he was trying to do what pleased God. The problem that was going on here, as I said earlier, some leaders were teaching that salvation required adherence to Jewish rituals, and therefore they're adding to the gospel. Listen to me. If you got your notes, it's point three in the intro. Get this down, circle it, highlight it, make it a key thought of your heart. The gospel teaches that we are saved by grace. Let me say that phrase again. We are saved by, everybody say the word. We are saved by, let me take it one step further. We are kept by, there's another word I'm going to throw in there. We are transformed by, now I'm going to balance this out so don't get jumpy. Just hang with me for a minute. I think when I'm done, you'll be okay. Right now you may be thinking, oh my goodness, he's throwing everything out the window. Not at all. Because we are transformed by grace. Grace is not a one-time thing that happens that's, that, that you put on a certificate somewhere and walk away from, but it's a continual activity in your life. We're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. We're transformed by grace. Here's what you have to know, and you all know this by observation. Grace brings liberty to live right, but legalism brings bondage. I don't want to get, I don't have time to get into too many illustrations of this, but it's amazing how we sometimes focus on outward things and we automatically make a connection that may or may not be there. Years ago, at many of our Assembly of God camps, we had rules about dress code, and it was, some of them were rather interesting. I don't know how we came up with them, but for, for ladies, I don't remember what it was now, but your, your skirt had to be no more than two inches above your knee. Well, I don't really have a problem with that. I think that's okay, but what's the difference between two inches or two and an eighth or one and seven eighths? And, 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 and I get they were just trying to give a generalized rule, and there's no problem with that until someone wants to make it an act of either you love God or don't love God. It's really quiet right now. I did not expect that. <laughs> Legalism brings bondage. Grace brings liberty. Grace is the central theme of the gospel. Nearly two-thirds of the time we read the word grace in the New Testament, 100 out of 154. So the, 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 the Greek word kairos is normally translated grace. And it's found in all 13 of the traditional Pauline letters. In Romans, it's there 23 times. In Corinthians, there, first and second combined, it's 28 times. This word carries the basic sense of favor. In the Old Testament, it's the word that would translate loving kindness in English. And God or Christ is the ones who give it undeservedly toward humanity grace is the undeserved favor and the gifts of God the word charisma is closely linked with the word charis and it has to do with the God empowered gifts every gift that you have was given by God now, as we look at grace in this passage, we're going to see some interesting things. First of all, this, it's in the first verse here that we see this, first two verses. Paul was an apostle by the grace of God. 
Paul says, and rightly so, he was appointed not by any person, but by God himself, by Jesus Christ himself, and God the Father. Now, you got to understand this. We look through a very different filter or lens right now. We hear the Apostle Paul. We hear the word Saint Paul, and we automatically, oh, yeah, top guy, top shelf, the best. Half the New Testament wrote it. He's the man. He could do it all. He was incredible. But you got to remember that when Paul said, hey, I've been transformed by the grace of God, all of the saints said, uh, yeah, we don't think so. I did a sermon one time years ago about Paul, and I called him the suspicious apostle. What's he doing? What's he hanging around for? You can read it later yourself. The Bible tells us clearly in the book of Acts that when word came that Paul had been transformed by Jesus Christ, the, the, the Christians, had, they wanted nothing to do with him. And I'm just telling you, and this is often the case for me, sometimes the way that I see things is not the way God sees things. Paul would not have been the choice of the people, but he was the choice of God. Paul was, in my opinion, very clearly never arrogant or demanding, but he was authoritative and devoted. He was the person God raised up for that season of time. Paul's ministry was affirmed by the other church leaders. Although they didn't see it at first, they quickly came on board and saw that he was one that God was using. Second thing about grace, not only was Paul an apostle by the grace of God, but grace brings peace. This is in verse 3 and verse 4, going down through here. Through grace, we are reconciled with God and obtain peace with God. Later on, read Ephesians chapter 5. By the way, let me insert this right now. The book of Galatians can be read in 20 minutes. I hope that through these next three weeks and then through August and September, you'll think about reading it at least once a week. And you might want to do it once a day. You know what will happen if you do that? You're going to know the book of Galatians really well. It will have impact in your heart. Many scholars say that, probably Romans and Galatians, Romans a little more uh, from a, a doctrinal position, Galatians from a practical position, although they both intersect, uh, are, are two of the most important books of the Bible because they clearly testify of the value of grace for salvation and God's favor upon those who put their faith in Christ. Grace brings peace. In the word there, we see this, verse 3, may God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ, give you grace and peace. Grace brings peace with God. What an incredible thing that is because we were aliens, we were foreigners, we were enemies with God, and yet when we were sinners, Romans 5 says, Christ died for us. How unbelievable. We should always have a sense of awe that God would love me. It's unbelievable. I'm not worthy of that. But by his grace, he has given that. Through grace, we have peace with others. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about he has torn down every wall, the walls of hostility, the walls of division. 
We'll read later on in Galatians and in other parts of Scripture that because of Jesus Christ and the work that he did, because of the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ, there is neither. And he goes all of these distinctions, and he's not talking about that we don't have differences, but he talks about the unity that we have in spite of our differences. There's neither male nor female. There's neither, there, there's neither uh, slave nor free. And he goes through all of these lists. Thank God we have uniqueness, but our uniqueness comes together in our unity. I'm very convinced of this reality that, that after being at general counsel this week and going back over the history of the Assemblies of God, we were doing things in the Assemblies of God before it was politically correct to do the things that are being done. Matter of fact, it was politically incorrect when we were doing them. And now it's kind of what worked the whole circle around. We were saying back in 1914, God is no respecter of person. He doesn't distinguish because of your race. He doesn't distinguish or eliminate because of your gender. And all of the unique parts that we have, all of the diversity that we share is so that we have completion. Let me, let me make it real simple for you. I don't even know what the biggest number of crayons in a box is, but let's say it's 300. There's some big ones. I don't know if they still do those crayon boxes like that, big crayon. If there's 300 crayons in that box, how many of you think it'd be a great thing if there were like 12 that were the exact same color, the exact same? Now, some of them look almost. I think sometimes they put different labels on them and do that to us. But supposedly, they're all a little bit different. So if you got a box and there's three or four of them missing and somebody says, get this color and use it, you're going to go, wait, my box isn't complete. The diversity brings completion. When the devil highlights diversity, he uses it to bring division. But God brings us together in one through Jesus Christ. Through grace, we have peace with others. Through grace, we have peace with ourselves. Third thing about grace. First, the apostle Paul was, he was the apostle by the grace of God. Grace brings peace. Second, third thing, grace comes through substitution. How do we get this grace in our life? Well, here's the good news. Jesus has done everything necessary for you to receive it. I love what Paul says here. I think it's in verse four. He tells us that Jesus died for our sins. And when you look at that phrase and you, you examine it and study, especially in the Greek language, it speaks of a substitution. Died in our place. He died so that we might receive the blessings of God. He died for your sins. Jesus took your place. He became like you. He took on your sin so that you might become like him. What an incredible thing. The love of God is so amazing. May we never think that somehow we have earned it. But may we always be consumed with the gracious gift of God. Not only did he die for your sins, he died to rescue you from the evil world in which we live. Now, I don't have the time to unpack this as much as I would like, but let me just hit on it real quick. It's very clear what Paul says is this, that he's rescuing us in the present tense. Now, it's not a rescue where he takes us out of the world, 
but it's a rescue where he cloaks us with his presence to give us sustaining power in spite of what goes on around us. I don't know if any of you have ever had these questions or not. When I read, I don't even like to read, to be honest, a lot of things about martyrdom and that kind of stuff. It's it's very overwhelming, very heavy to read those kind of things. But I always think in myself, I think, I don't know, I'd be able to do that. And you know what? I'm right. I wouldn't be able to do that. But God working in me would give me strength. God is the one who gives us the power to succeed in life. He doesn't doing it by taking us out of the world, but he puts himself in us, and therefore we are no longer trapped by the things of this world. Now, let me be real clear here. I wish that this was like Hebrews talks about. In one sense it is, in one sense it's not, so I'll clarify. I wish this was a once and for all thing in this sense that I could lay hands on you, get people in church, lay hands on you one time and you're good for the rest of your life. I'm telling you, I would bolt the doors and bar the windows. And you wouldn't get out until we were sure of what was going on. But God's plan for us is actually revealed all the way back over in Exodus when the people are coming out of Israel and he prepared for them food in the wilderness. And he rained down man and they got a big box of it and it lasted a month. No. You know the story. Every day they went out and gathered food for that day. If... How many of you are ever in this category? I'm honest. I'm in this category. I'm kind of like, Lord, I know, take care of today, but could you give me a little assurance about is it going to be enough for tomorrow? And God's like, well, walk by faith. In our culture, they are saying, we see this more clearly. Anything can happen in a day that can shake our world. And if our stability is found in our economic condition, remember the Twin Towers? Changed in a moment. We recovered because they weren't really as good as they thought they were, and we're better than they thought we were. Think about the people in Ukraine right now. His world is absolutely turned upside down. You know, if we put our hope in anything that is temporary, our hope is temporary. Now, if it's wealth, if it's fame, if it's position. But if we put our hope in God, it is eternal. He has delivered us From this present age, he has brought us into a place of rescue. God has delivered us. We are liberated from the world system the devil enforces on humanity. And it's only if we choose to experience that and live in that that we will. Because now we have received new life by God's grace through faith in Jesus I pray that you would have an awareness of this today. You are a new creation. You have a new life. 
old things are passed away. Everything is new because of what Christ has done. That's grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it this way. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And by the way, in Galatians 1, 4, in the middle part of that verse, it tells us that Jesus gave his life for our sins to rescue us from the evil world in which we live. And in between those two phrases, it says this, just as God our Father had planned. Wow. I don't know how much theology ever blows your mind away, but that phrase right there just wears me out. God planned all of this. Why? Because grace is his vocabulary. Grace is his language. And he speaks to us in grace. Now let me go on for all of you who thought I was going to get soft and lose a concern for holiness. Let me help you out right now. Some of y'all been waiting for point four all day. Here it is. God corrects our mistakes. The Galatians had accepted bad theology. They were going through things they didn't need to go through. They were, they were bringing stuff in and It might have been beneficial for them in some ways, but they were somehow equating it with salvation. That's the problem. It's not a problem to say, hey, financial peace. Let us tell you God's principles of how to handle your money. But I I can't tell you that you got to handle your money like this or you're no longer saved. It's a backward approach. It's a backward approach. And it brings legalism that brings bondage. Now, wisdom is going to help you learn some things. Salvation and grace will lead you into some things. One thing that grace does, and it's what Paul talks about here, verse 6, he goes to that, all glory to God forever and ever, amen. You blew it that quick. And what he's saying is this. You need to make sure that your theology is accurate. Get the basics in place first. Build on that, but make sure the foundation is secure. What is the foundation of our theology? What is the foundation of our faith? It is the fact that the grace of God has offered us salvation. And through faith in him, we embrace it. Nothing more. Nothing else, nothing less. Now, from there, it goes a lot of different places. But you got to get that right first. Or otherwise, you think if you put more money in, God's happier with you. Maybe your motivation's not totally accurate sometimes. Maybe you think if you don't put enough money in you're going to get a flat tire on the way home I'm pretty sure if you were getting a flat tire it was happening either way there may be times where divine intervention kicks in I'm not saying that's never a case but we've got to be careful that we don't build all of this theology based on all of these external things and we get back to this foundational truth that I am saved 
by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no room for additional requirements regarding salvation. I'm saved because of Jesus. Okay, now here we go. Here's the phrase that I'm finally getting to that's going to put you at ease. If you're worried about, we're going to get real sloppy around here and not be involved toward holiness. Good works are not the root or the cause of salvation, but rather the fruit or the result of salvation. In other words, we don't do good works to get saved, but we do good works because we are saved. 100% of the time. You don't earn it, but out of gratitude, you want to participate. What can I do to help get the gospel around the world? What can I do to help those who are needy in Nicaragua? What can I do to help my neighbor? How can I pray? What can I do to be a part of this? Because we are saved by grace, it frees us to pursue good works. Paul goes on to say here, false doctrine will bring unreconcilable disruption and change the gospel of grace. You know what God's grace does in points of correction? God's grace that corrects our mistakes is always leading us to a place of reconciliation. Even back in the Old Testament, by the way, just real quick, the Old Testament God and the New Testament God are the same God. It wasn't like he was mad in the Old Testament, all of a sudden he got happy in the New Testament. Same God, same God, both places. In Ezekiel, Old Testament, God says, I have no delight in the death of the wicked, but I would prefer that they turn from their sin and follow me. God is always, always, always calling you back to a place of connection and reunion and restoration. Titus chapter 2, real quick, and I won't take much time with this at all. This is conclusion. I don't say that word very often, by the way. Just take note of that. Titus 2, 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness. That's what grace does. Did you get that? Grace trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Paul says five things there real fast, just statements for you to get into. Grace brings salvation. That was an amen moment and you didn't amen. So I'm going to try it one more time. Grace brings salvation. Wow. How awesome is that? Grace brings salvation. Well, I don't feel good enough. Awesome because you're not. You got the right view. Well, I, you know, I'm just not really sure if I'm saved or not. 
is your salvation founded in the goodness of God? Then grab a hold of it and pursue it. Stay strong in the faith. You know, if the devil can cause you to live in a, in a fear of insecurity, he will prevent you from ever doing anything effective for the kingdom. But when you recognize you have been redeemed, get that word in your spirit, you've been brought back in. You've been called back into ownership of God. You've been reconnected by the grace of God. It should free you to pursue good works with great joy. Grace brings salvation. Grace trains us to renounce our wrongdoing. See, grace is kind of right here. And every time we start to make a move in the wrong direction, because God loves us, he goes, whoa. Watch out. Uh Uh-uh. No, no. Back up. You know what that is? That's grace. That's God wanting you to not ruin or wreck your life. So the Holy Spirit comes and speaks in our heart and says, don't do that. God trains us. Grace trains us to renounce wrongdoing. Grace prepares us to live right. Righteousness, holiness are the key into the kingdom. And it is, the door is unlocked by grace and faith. And now we walk into this pathway of right living, which brings blessing. Grace strengthens us. You're not going to like this one, but it's still good. Grace gives us strength to persevere joyfully and patiently. I love, the, I love this verse here where it talks about, so while we're living this right kind of life, we are waiting for our blessed hope. The picture I get from the phrasing that's given there is we're doing the right stuff and, 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 and we've, we're looking at where we're going, but we got one eye just kind of barely creeping up toward heaven, just saying, I think he's coming soon. It could be today. We live in that spirit. We live in that place. And grace positions us to be zealous for good works. You know, you, you can tell how grace-filled a church is when there's something to be done. Is it okay that I just said that to you? When, you, when a church needs something done and they have to keep pleading and begging, would somebody help? And when you come out and serve, and when you do whatever, people are going, oh, no, I can't. No, I won't. Somebody else. Well, we've kind of missed out on the grace aspect of life. Because grace positions me in a place where when somebody says, can you help with this? My first response is yes. And then my second question is, what do you want me to do exactly? I'm in. I'm part of the... I'm part of the solution. To the best of my ability, I'm going to serve where I can, when I can, looking for ways to be zealous for God. Now, here's the cool part. The diversity, tying it all back in, the diversity that God's put in the body of Christ helps us to do all things well. I can't do everything, but I do something. And the something I do is not going to be the something you do. But together, the body advances the kingdom of God. We're zealous for good works. What can I do? Where can I serve? Give me something to do. I want a ministry. I want a place. And listen, the best ministries aren't necessarily ones that we create for you. God, help me to walk in the ministry of my life with my neighbors and my place of work. 
Here's what grace requires. It requires surrendering your life completely to God. To accept grace, you have to push. Grace is such a big package. Think of it this way. I'm packing my car to go on a trip, but I forgot that there's a couple things in there from a previous activity I was doing, and I've got suitcases and and, and things to go in the back of my car, and the only way I can get them in is to get that other stuff out first. Grace says you have to get rid of all of your efforts. You have to get rid of all of of your agenda, all of your expectations, all of all the stuff you have. You got to get it all out, and you got to surrender to God and say, Lord, you pack the car. You put in there what needs to be in there. You help me get it right. I surrender, I joyfully surrender control of my life to you. You know, I I never liked the word surrender because I always thought of it with like guns and you're doing this and that's not a good place to be. But the surrender to God is this surrender of like when when you're a kid working on something and your dad or your mom or your uncle, whoever comes over goes, can I help you with that? And you're struggling so bad that you're like, yes, please. You're like, here are the tools. Let me just stand and watch. And you just give it up to them. And you're like, thank you so much. That's how we surrender to God. It's not with this, well, he finally made me, drug me to the altar. And I finally, you know, after fighting for years, I finally gave in. No, it's like, please, yes, Lord, come take the hammer. Come take the pliers. Because I'm stuck. The grace of God is the foundation of the gospel. You don't have to do anything good enough to earn it. But you receive it through faith in Jesus Christ. And his grace will lead you in a path of righteousness. Would you bow your heads all across the room for a minute? I just want to pray with you today. Really generic question to start with. And I try to be led by the Spirit in all of these times. But right now, generic question. I'll get a little more specific in just a moment. But but kind of just so I can see and connect how many of you would say pastor today's message spoke to my heart and reminded me of something and and, and it spoke to me and God spoke to me by his spirit today and the word was for me today lift your hand all across the room would you do that for me many of you thank you thank you so much I pray that the word of God would find a place in your heart right now and that it's not just something that we think is for somebody else maybe you're here today and you've struggled in living for God because you've tried but you haven't yielded you let God be in control and by the way it's daily renewal required on a daily basis we're coming back to this position of Lord I yield this day to you again how many of you here today would say I've struggled with salvation but today I want to receive the full grace of God that transforms my life would you raise your hand all across the room I need that grace of God that transforms me yes thank you Who else? Thank you. Yes. I want you to stand with me across the room. I'd like for prayer team to come to the front very quickly, if you would, please. If you need prayer in your life today, if you feel God speaking to you, let me give you you a word of encouragement here. I would encourage you, it it, it will only take as long as you need to take. So nobody's going to keep you down here for 45 minutes. If God does, that's between him and you, and you'll be glad he did. But if you feel the Lord nudging you to respond, 
you say, do I, do I really need to do that? Well, there are sometimes that, that obedience is the key to receiving the blessing of God. If you feel the Lord nudging you, if you know that you need someone to join with you in prayer for a particular need, or today you said, I need to be more secure in my salvation by God's grace, and whatever the Lord's speaking to you, l- let me tell you how this works. The enemy will tell you this in your mind, in your heart. He will tell you if you go down there, people are going to wonder, what's wrong with that person? Why are they down there? I wonder how, I wonder what they've been doing lately. That's what the devil's telling you. Here's what I've observed in my 61 years of life. And I was in church the first Sunday after I was born. So I got 61 years in the book. Here's what I've observed. When people come to the front for prayer, saints of God rejoice. And they don't wonder about what did they do or mess up. Matter of fact, we probably think most of the time, praise God, they're living right, doing right, and just want to get closer to God. It is an affirming place to come and and join with someone in prayer. There's nothing to be afraid of or what will it look like. And if you need prayer today for anything at all, for salvation, for a need in your life, just to have the confidence of knowing that you're right with God, As they sing this song, I want to invite you to step out and come to the front. There are people here to pray with you. And I believe God's going to show up for you today and meet you in a very personal way. Would you come right now if you want personal prayer?